Good morning. How are you doing, South City? Thanks for being with us today. We're continuing our stories series, but we're going to focus on narratives in the Christian story. And uh, one of the things that uh, we've been doing every week is kind of introducing you to different people in the church. And I want to continue that this week. Some of the people we've introduced to you are, are newer to us, and some of the folks have been with us for a while. One of those today is, is not just a person, it's a couple. And it'll make a little bit more sense when I get into our stories. But I want to introduce to you, if you don't know, Bobby, Miss, Mr. Bobby and Ms. Ellen Johnson. We love them so much. Y'all can stay seated right here. Y'all know who they are, right? All right. We love you guys so much. I just wanted everybody to know you a little bit better and a little bit know your story a little bit better. I'll put that out there and whoever gets it, gets it, you know. Um, tell us a little bit about, tell us just a hair a little about what's been going on the last couple of years. I know you've been walking through some medical issues and different things. What's, what's going on, Bob? Well, a lot. <laughs> First of all, I'd like to say welcome to all of you here at, at South City. Old Temple as we know it, <laughs> but we're extremely proud of the pastor that Brother Kidd and Jesus Christ has sent our way to lead us in this, in this area. For me, I was raised in a home or town or whatever you want to call it, no, down across at Arkansas. That, I, that none of my family attended church except my grandma and grandpa. Pretty old now. And a lot of things happened back then now that I won't get into that now, but try to get up to update with us now here now. I went to the Army when I was 16 years old, believe it or not. I was as big at 16 as I am now. <laughs> But anyway, I got in service and I went through basic training, went to Virginia and got ready to go overseas and I was going to Korea. So I called mom and told her I was going to Korea. She said, no, you ain't. <laughs> so at, at that time I had one, one of my first, first cousins was, was Jim Johnson. He was the justice of Arkansas, chief justice of Arkansas. So mama, mama knew him real good. <laughs> Anyway, he got me out, but when I got out, I, I couldn't, go back, couldn't go back home for the reasons that I left home, and we won't get into that, but anyway, I went to Spring Hill, Louisiana. I had a couple of aunts down there, and both of their husbands was deacons in churches. <laughs> One of them was First Baptist Church of Cullen, and Aunt Mildred's husband was, was a deacon in the church. And we had revival, and they had revivals every year. And Brother A.D. Livingston <laughs> was the preacher. And that's when I come to know Christ Amen. in 1954. Yeah. And I've tried to serve him. Tried to serve him ever since. And in 1955, The Lord gave me Miss Ella. 
I'm 80 years old. We've been married for 63 years. Amen. And the best thing besides Jesus Christ is her. <laughs> anyway, getting on up to date, we made it through the years a good bit. We went to church. We served Christ the best that we could. I know Jesus, and I know I'm saved. Amen. But here, about a year and a half ago, I got... I got up out of my bed one morning. I got up out of my bed one morning and everything in the world was turning. I, cra I crashed up against the wall and we didn't know what happened. So she got me up and we went to this little doctor down here on, on stagecoach. And he, he didn't know what went on. And for about the next two or three months, we saw my near ever doctor in Little Rock. Come to find out that I had cancer. Put me in the hospital and they run tests on it and found out where it was at and how bad it was and it was, it was pretty bad. Lymph nodes and everything was infected so. That's when I depended on Jesus more than ever. That's when I, <clears throat> I come to realize what he means in my life and what he means. But anyway, they told us that it was inoperable and could not, couldn't take chemo. So Ellen asked a doctor for a second opinion. Would he recommend a second opinion? I said, yeah. He said, I recommend M.D. Anderson. And, I, and that was a lifesaver. We went to M.D. Anderson, and they was going to try me on a new medicine that hadn't been approved for what it, what it was meant to be. So it so sent me back to Sent me back to Little Rock and I took the first dose of it. It didn't bother me. I took the second dose and we went back out there and they looked at the camera and going to take a something other. But anyway, come to find out that that thing was gone. <laughs> and the name of God was Contruda. And praise the Lord, I'm doing better, better, all, better all the time. We got to go back this Tuesday, but it's just for just for look see, <laughs> see, that, see that it ain't nowhere else. No, That's it. so all I, all I can say is praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord and the prayers of the praying people of of them. Mm-hmm. Praise God. Thank you. Give this to you now. Well, uh, what are you learning from the Lord in all this? You think, Miss Ellen? Well, I think we do have a greater dependence on him, and, and maybe we're a little more forthcoming to share him than we were before. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's all been good, and there's been steady progress. He uh, started in June of 17 is when he first was ill, 
and then uh, they later decided that he had a light stroke that day, but he was diagnosed with the cancer in August, the 25th of August, and he had another stroke the 26th and uh, got past that, went through the rehab and everything. And then his gallbladder had to be out in December. So all of 2017, the last half, mm -hmm. was sick, but all of 2018 mm -hmm. has been uplifting, really. Yeah. It's been uh, steady incline where 2017 was down, and the church was such a big part of it. Uh, you know, everybody that we talked to said, we're praying for you, mm -hmm. and we knew you were because we saw the results, mm -hmm. and our lives have been so much stronger because of it. Mm -hmm. I think that he's brought us to this place for a reason, Yeah. and uh, we expect good news this week. Amen. Praise God. Let's give them a hand, can we? I'm so thankful for the Johnsons. They have been so incredibly kind and supportive and wonderful to my wife and I and to this process that we've been in the last couple of years, kind of transitioning our church from Temple to South City Church. And uh, they are just a faithful people, aren't they? God is so good. And I, it's been so neat. I got to see Brother Bobby in the hospital and and even, you know, after, and, and to hear him even be able to, to put sentences together that fast, you know, because for a while, he, it, the things weren't connecting as well. It took him a while to get some things out, and, but for him to say those things as fast as he is, God is just doing a great work in him, and I'm so thankful for them. Aren't you thankful for them? Well, I want to introduce you to another faithful and wonderful couple from God's Word this morning uh, out of the book of Luke in the first chapter. And while I've been studying all week, I've referred to this couple. They have long names, and so I've kind of shortened their names to Z and E. And the reason I've done that, I think, and that may be the reason I thought of you, Miss Ellen, because Miss Ellen's grandkids call her E. And so that's why I've reduced uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth to Z and E all week. It's just easy to write. But uh, I want, before we get into our story too much, I want to give you a little context on what these folks were living in. Uh, Many of you know that when the end of the Old Testament kind of happened, the beginning of the New Testament didn't happen for about 400 years, and it was silent. God was not speaking through his prophets. It was silent. And some of God's people were just continuing to try to be faithful, just continue to do the last thing they heard from the Lord, right, which is kind of what we do in silent seasons. What's the last thing, God, you told me to do, just to be faithful, and there was just this period of silence. And in Jerusalem, there was a king by the name of Herod. They called him Herod the Great, but the irony is he wasn't very great. He was actually a pretty miserable guy. He was horrible. Uh, there was a saying that said it was better to be Herod's pig than his son, if that tells you anything about the kind of person that he was. Uh, one theologian said that this season in the history of the world was the darkest and most evil days men can remember. This was a dark time in the world, and yet this is the time God chose to bring the advent, the, which just means the arrival of the Messiah. Advent means the arrival of the Messiah. And so in this dark, dark season, this is when God chose to illuminate that darkness. I like the way Alistair Begg puts it. He said, God was about to turn on the Christmas lights in Jerusalem, illuminating the dark. So our story sits right in the middle. It's kind of the fulcrum point of the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? Right in the middle 
at the end of the Old Testament, 400 years later, sits this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth uh, as God ushers in sort of the advent of the gospel of Jesus. We know that the Bible speaks in Old Testament in every single book in one way or another about the Messiah. In every single book, it, it, it alludes to the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah. But one of the things that it does is it says, you'll know the Messiah's coming when there's a forerunner. There's somebody who's going to come before him and you'll know the Messiah is coming. And that's uh, part of what we're looking at today. So we look in the scripture at these prophecies in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. Isaiah says this, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. If you look at the very last page of the Old Testament in Malachi chapter 4 verse 5, it says, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. So there's these two prophecies about uh, the forerunner of Jesus, the one who would come to, to prepare the way. He would be one in the wilderness, a voice and crying out in the wilderness. And so the last thing spoken of God is a promise. It's a promise of those to come. One who would holler out, cry out, and prepare the way, and one who is the way. And so that's what we look at this morning in Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, turn over there with us and let's read these verses together. Start with verse 5. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Does that sound familiar from that prophecy? And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? From I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah outside. They were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. There's a lot of content there. 
And one of the first things that I see, and we talked about this in our Luke series, uh, the book of Luke is written by Luke, and he's writing it to a specific person, the same person he wrote the book of Acts to, Theophilus. And one of the things I love about Dr. Luke is that he wants to be very specific. He's trying to help Theophilus understand this isn't a myth. This thing that we're talking about when I'm talking about the Savior of the world, this isn't just some conjecture. This isn't just a story that somebody's told. This is fact. This happened at a certain place at a certain time, and I want you to see that. And so Luke gives us those specific points of when it happened and where, okay? Um, Luke is saying, listen, even though it's dark in the days of Herod, he gives us that specific qualifier, God is going to bring about this advent to this family in the hill country of Judea. So what we learn about Zechariah and Elizabeth, number one is he's a priest. He's from a family, a long line of priests. So is his wife from the tribe of Aaron. This is a bunch of priests. So they, they know temple work, right? They know what it's like. They've been around it their whole lives. So Zechariah and Elizabeth, both from uh, religious uh, priestly families. The, the text says they're both righteous, walked blamelessly before the Lord. They weren't perfect people. But they were blameless in the way that they followed the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. And then another little piece of the context of the story is that, one, they were older, and two, they were barren. And you remember when we talked about the story of Hannah, that when a woman was barren or when a family was barren in that day and time, there was sort of a, a, a shadow cast over them. Well, what's wrong with them? What has she done? Or what have they not done? And then there was an added piece. Well, aren't they religious? Isn't he a priest? What do we not know about this family that they can't have a baby? Just imagine this. All of her life into her older years having to deal with the hushed whispers on the street and in the temple. Feeling different. Feeling uh, put down. Feeling self-conscious of the fact that they didn't have any kids. So... The thing about Zechariah being a priest is that he was one of many priests. We know that in Jerusalem, there's about 20,000 priests in the, in the, in the area. 20,000 priests. And so they would serve twice a year, uh, once for a whole week. So Zechariah was coming up to the temple for his time to serve for his week twice a year. This is one of the times. Well, when they would do that, they would hold a lottery. And whoever would win that lottery out of 20,000 people they would come into the holy place to clean out the ash from the altar of incense. For somebody, for a priest to get a chance to go into this place, it's just like winning, it's a winning, winning a lottery. It's a one in 20,000 chance. There's many priests that never got the opportunity to do this. And if you got a chance to go into the holy place, you were, this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This is a once-in-a-lifetime situation, and that is the context of when we see the angel show up to Zechariah. We see that the angel's name is Gabriel. We see that when he says hello to Zechariah, Zechariah does what everybody else in the Bible does when they see an angel, right? Which is he's scared to death. He freaks out. That is the normal situation you see in scripture. When somebody, when an angel shows up, the person he shows up to freaks out. That's kind of what happens in the Bible. Zechariah is no different. He sees the angel. He's, he's sorely afraid, as they say. The Bible speaks to some people who see angels and they say they were, they were like dead men, some of them. They, they fall out, they're so afraid. We don't know what an angel looks like, but evidently it was so marked differently, so different, so other, that it was something that was scary. So Gabriel tells him, oh, don't be afraid. 
And he tells him, my name is Gabriel, right? Now, the thing we need to know about Gabriel is Gabriel shows up in Scripture three different times in the Bible. In the whole Bible, two times in this one chapter. He shows up to Zechariah in the temple, and a little bit later, he shows up to Mary to announce to Mary what's going to happen with her. The time that he showed up before this was over 500 years before. Let's wrap your brain around that for a little bit, okay? 500 years before, he, he showed up to Daniel in Daniel chapter 8 and 9. And every time Gabriel shows up, he has an incredibly important announcement to make every single time. So we get to see a little bit about Gabriel. Gabriel shows up and he tells Zachariah, he says, your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. Now the question is, what was his prayer? Now when we know the story, we know some of the background about them being barren. It, it makes sense that they would be praying for a child. But the thing we understand from, from theologians is to be considered old at this time period is anything after the age of 60. And trust me, every year after 46 for me looks younger and younger. So 60 is not that old, doesn't seem like. But there's not a whole lot of 65 or 75-year-old people that are getting pregnant, right? And so this is a little bit of a shocker. It's a little bit of a shocker. But uh, what was the prayer that Zechariah had? Was it a prayer to, to be a parent? To have a child at this age? Or was it a prayer for the Messiah to come in the middle of this dark season of history? We don't know, but God answers them both. Isn't that cool? Gabriel says, your prayer has been heard. He says, your prayer has been heard. This child, you're going to name him John, and he's going to give you joy and gladness, and many will rejoice with you at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And I started thinking about this as a parent. We've got those two little girls that were up here this morning. I want my kids to be great. If you're a parent, you want your kids to be great, don't you? You want them to just do great things, be nice to people, be honest, have good grades, you know, marry a good person, uh, you know, be a doctor, be a lawyer. We sell these things. Just be great, right? But what's interesting is Gabriel said, your son will be great before the Lord. Isn't that a better thing for us as Christian parents to want for our kids? To be great before the Lord, not just to be great? This week, uh, my youngest, Jovi, she's not in here, is she? Good. Uh, so my youngest, Jovi, this week, she, um, we were putting her down for bed, and she was telling me a story that she was trying to get ready to put her stuff together so she could leave, and she had four answers on her on a, some homework or whatever that she needed to get put on the sheet before she could pack her stuff up and leave. And she said, but everybody was hurrying to leave and, and I was trying to figure out how to do it and my friends helped me with the answers. And we know what that means, right? And I, it just piqued my interest. I was like, oh, really? How did they help you with your answers? She said, well, they gave me the answers. I was like, oh. oh. And she was like, and I, she evidently I had this look on my face. She was like, why, Dad? I said, babe, if somebody gives you the answers, that's called cheating. And when we cheat, it's the same thing as lying. When we lie, when you lied about those answers, you've stolen those answers from someone else and said, those are my answers. They're not, they're not your answers. You cheated. Oh. <laughs> so it's just sort of this silent moment. And I, I didn't want it to be full guilt and full shame. I wanted this to be a teachable moment. So we prayed. We asked God to forgive us. We talked through all that whole thing. 
I don't want my kid just to be great. I don't want her just to have the right answers and have good grades, right? I want her to be great before the Lord. I want her answers to come from her own mind. And I told her, I said, if somebody's going to help you, that means helping you to understand how to get the right answer, not just giving it to you. That's not helping you. That's cheating. We want our kids to be great, yes, but we want them to be great before the Lord. Gabriel also tells Zechariah that John will be the one to prepare the way. He'll be the one to come in the spirit of Elijah. In other words, the Gabriel's saying to him, John is the one from the prophecies. And being a priest, he would have been very aware of what those prophecies said. He's saying, your son is the one to fulfill those prophecies about the spirit of Elijah and preparing the way for the Messiah. On the back of your card this morning, you're going to notice I put a few little empty blanks here. If you want to follow along and write these down, that'd be great. If you don't, that's cool too. But here's the first one. See, Zechariah, Elizabeth, each of you and me, we all have issues. Regardless of how faithful we are, regardless of how much we know, how, how long we've been in the church, we've all got issues. We've all made mistakes. We've all got things that go on with our lives. Thank God for his grace that he helps us even beyond our issues. Zachariah's issue was this. He didn't believe. He didn't believe. There's an angel sitting or talking with him, an angel that scared him half to death. And yet he didn't believe. What did he say? He said, how am I going to know this is true that we're going to have a baby? Now, how am I going to know, right? Because I'm old and my wife is old. And I, you, know, you know I'm going to find like the comedic parts of every one of these stories. It's just this, something wrong with my brain. I don't know. But I can, just, can you just imagine the angel sitting there going, what? No, I mean, how am I going to know? I can just see the angel just going, you mean like maybe God should send you an angel or... I don't know. Let's see. Let's think about this, Zachariah, for a moment. I, you know, it's just, what are you talking about, Zachariah? It's like showing up at McDonald's and kind of going, do you guys know where I can get a cheeseburger? What? This makes no sense. And so the angel says, yeah, I, I think a sign would be a good idea. How about your sign be that you can't speak for nine months? Well, then, will you know then, since the angel of the Lord, and I even love what he says. He says this. And I, again, I'm putting tone on it because I can just imagine the angel going, oh, you've got to be kidding. But he goes, I am Gabriel. Um, I stand in the presence of God. Like, that's not enough for you? I'll tell you what, I love this piece of the story because it reminds me that there are other thick-headed people in ministry besides me. I love it. How often are there times that I don't get it? You know, and the angels may be going, oh, Drew. But in their grace, in God's grace, they help understand. He helps me understand the things that I need to know. So this, this is a funny moment, but Zachariah's issue is he didn't believe. He didn't trust what the angel was telling him. So he comes out of the, of the holy place, the altar of incense. And what would happen is they would go in and they would burn this incense and the smoke would go up. And so people gathered outside would watch the smoke and in their minds, they would think, as we pray, our prayers will go up with the smoke of incense. So they would watch for smoke. They would watch for the, the guy to come out, the priest to come out. Zechariah comes out. He can't speak. He's motioning with his hands, right? He's, this is a Pictionary kind of moment or whatever that game is. He's trying to help them understand what happened. They know that he's seen a vision. And they don't know to the extent of it. But then he goes home, and this miracle happens, and his wife conceives a child. Now, for whatever reason, she doesn't 
go outside or she goes off to someplace, for five months she hides herself. She hides the growth of this child within her. And she says this in verse 25. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. God's taken away my reproach. He, he, I've, I've dealt with this all my life, but now I'm pregnant. I'm not sure why she stayed away for five months. Maybe it was to ponder the significance of, of holding, having, birthing the one to prepare the way for the Messiah. Maybe there was some shame and I'm 65, I'm 70 years old. What will people say? Maybe that was in there as well, I don't know. But Elizabeth's issue was her reproach. She had a reproach and she kind of made this whole thing about her, which also reminds me of me. So often we make what God is doing in our lives about us and God wants to say, this is not just about you. Yes, I want to bless you, but every blessing, every provision, everything in your life is not just about you. It's about what I want to do through you in other people, right? That's what he wants to show us, and that's what he's showing Elizabeth in this beautiful way. Her reproach is taken away. So a little bit later in chapter 1, we see Gabriel, a few months later, show up with Mary. And I'm not going to go into a ton of detail because Mary's going to be one of our stories in a couple of weeks. Then I want to wait on that one. But, but I think it's important because when Gabriel speaks with Mary, he makes this announcement to her that she's going to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, that she would conceive a child, a holy child. And, and, and for whatever reason, Gabriel feels the need to help her understand that God is a God of miracles. <laughs> he has to remind her God does things that we can't understand. And so he says to her, he says, hey, maybe you're struggling with this. You know, your, you know your relative, Elizabeth? And Mary thinks, yeah, the, the, my old relative. She's an older lady. He said, well, she's six months pregnant. For whatever reason, that helps Mary go, oh, wow. If God can, can, can do that in, in my older relative, then he could do this in me. She's encouraged by that thought. And then the, then the angel says to Mary, nothing is impossible with God. Isn't that good? Nothing is impossible with God. And Mary's starting to see, well, if you can do that in Elizabeth and you can do this in me, nothing is impossible with God. What's impossible in your life lately? Is there something that you've thought through? Is there something that you've struggled with? Is there something you've given up on and felt impossible? Can you be encouraged this morning that nothing is impossible with God? I love the way the Lord works. Because even just in this part of the story, he, he's shown us that in Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayers. He hears our prayers. He loves us. He hears our prayers. He's greater than infertility. He does a miracle in this older couple. He takes away the shame and reproach of Elizabeth's condition. And he also encourages us in the, mo in the terrifying moments of our lives. Can I just remind you, I'll get into this more in a couple of weeks, but Mary was a young girl. Mary's 13, 14, 15. I mean, she's young. So imagine being that young and, first of all, seeing that angel. Would that, be a, that would be a scary moment. I want you to look at the greeting the angel gives Mary. What a beautiful, encouraging greeting in the middle of a terrifying moment for a little girl. I want you to look at it in the message. This is what it says. Gabriel greeted her. Good morning. You're beautiful with God's beauty, beautiful inside and out. God be with you. Isn't that beautiful? Ladies, would you like to wake up every morning with your husband saying that? 
Let's do it, guys. I mean, I think we could do this. I, I texted this to my wife. I said, can we wake up our girls every day with this? Good morning. You're beautiful with God's beauty, beautiful inside and out. God be with you. God in his amazing, tender way, even with Mary, comforts her in a terrifying moment. I want to keep, keep reading here in the, in, in a little further in the text. Luke 1, 39. So what does Mary do? She's maybe thinking, did I just... <clears throat> did I just see an angel? Wait, was that bad hummus? You know what I mean? What, what was going on? What happened with me? He said something about Elizabeth being pregnant, and you, you got to be kidding with that. Okay, this is what she does. Verse 39, in those days Mary rose and went to, uh, with haste in a hurry into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. That's John. He leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. When Mary walks in the room, she says, Elizabeth, John leaps in her womb, in Elizabeth's womb. And as soon as he does that, he fulfills the prophecy of the angel. The angel said, your son will be filled with the spirit all the way to his mother's womb. All these things are happening. God, God filled with prophecy, reminding them that he is, he's huge. The story is big. He's real. Everything he tells us will come true. So he leaps in her womb and she realizes, oh my goodness, this is, this is Mary, my, my, my relative, and Mary's carrying. Before Mary's even showing as a pregnant woman, the Holy Spirit confirms in Elizabeth's spirit, this is the Messiah. This is Messiah. And I, what I love about this is Elizabeth in this moment, she had kind of made this pregnancy of hers a little bit about her. Thank you, Lord, for taking away my reproach. Whew, it's been rough. You see that? Thanks for taking this away from me. This has been difficult. But look what she says. She says, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy, see, filled with the Holy Spirit. And she says in verse 43, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me. Can I just tell you, anytime you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when you're filled with the Spirit of God, there's some things that are going to happen. You're going to give glory to God. Jesus is always going to help point, uh, he's always going to point you to Jesus. The Holy Spirit will always help point your heart, your mind toward Jesus. And he'll also help you get a bigger picture of what's really going on. When the Holy Spirit fills you, you will glorify God you will glorify God. You get a bigger picture. Oh, I understand what he's trying to do. And that's exactly what happens in Elizabeth's life. She says, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. She blesses God. And then she gets this realization. It's not all about her. Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Do you feel the humility in that? I don't even deserve to be in this story, God. The mother of my Lord, this isn't my little cousin or my little uh, relative, Mary, anymore. This is the mother of my Lord. You just see the importance here. 
You see the humility. You see her placing herself beneath. It's not even about her child anymore. Mary, your child is greater than my child. That you, you would allow me to be a part of the story just shows humility. The Holy Spirit's helping her get a, bit, a bigger picture. I think it's also interesting in this last little phrase that she adds in this blessing of Elizabeth. I want to read it to you. It's, it's very interesting. Verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Listen, as I looked at that, I noticed, do you know who something was spoken to and they didn't believe? Elizabeth's husband. Zachariah, right? God said, you're going to have a baby. And he said, whoa, how am I going to know this? I'm, I'm old, my wife is old. He didn't believe. And what uh, Elizabeth is saying to Mary is, you, you've had the appropriate response. When God speaks something to you, believe it. You've done that. You've shown us as believers what it means when God speaks to us to obey and to believe. So then we see John born. Look down at uh, Luke verse, chapter 1, verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. I'm going to stop right there just for a second. The reproach is gone. Do you notice that? There's no more shame. There's no more hushed uh, whispers. In fact, this is a fulfillment of the prophecy from the, from the angel. He said, you'll have great joy with this child, and when he's born, many will rejoice with you. Well, that's what we're seeing. So the reproach is gone, and the prophecy is being fulfilled. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Verse 59. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, no, no. He should be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father. Remember, he can't speak. He's mute. Inquiring, inquiring what would uh, you want him to be called? And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loose and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up in their hearts, laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. You see, as soon as Zechariah says, no, his name is John, there's a sense of obedience, right? Because Gabriel said, you're going to name him John. He also said, you're going to have a child, and Zechariah said, I don't know how I'm going to see this, how that's going to happen. But when he says, no, 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 his name is John, there's an act of obedience, and immediately his mouth is open and he can speak. Something happens that's very interesting. Then all of a sudden we see the same thing happen to Zechariah that happened to Elizabeth. Zachariah is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he does what Elizabeth does. He gives glory to God. He worships God. He's thankful. He doesn't all of a sudden receive his ability to speak and go, Elizabeth, I've been trying to tell you something. That, you know, I'm so glad I could. No, he, he wastes no time, does he? Because his faith is so strong. He, he knows that God has done this, and, and the first thing he has to do is worship God. And so he speaks out a blessing to the Lord. He speaks out this, this praise to God. And then after he does that, and we've got some preaching competition in here. 
after he does that, he does something beautiful that, that Elizabeth had done. Are you with me? Listen. So Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. She, wore, she praises God. She speaks over Mary. Zechariah is filled with the Spirit. He worships, praises God. And then he speaks over his son, John. Look what he says. Luke 1.76 says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge to the salvation of his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. John's name means the Lord is gracious. God named John. He named him the Lord is gracious so that John would go before Jesus and letting them know the truth of who Jesus would be. Of course, we also know that he names Jesus as well. And Jesus names, his name means God saves. The Lord is gracious and our God saves. So what do we learn? This, we try to do this every week as I close. This is an amazing story of a faithful couple. They love God. They're obedient to God. It's just an incredible, incredible story. So what do we learn from this story? What can we take away? On the back of your card, if you're following along, the first thing we see is this. God is at work in the darkness, okay? He's at work in the darkness even when you're unaware or if you have no clue. Maybe you've been wandering around and there's been some things going on in your life that's just been a fog. God, where are you? Are you going to speak again? Are you going to show up again in my life? Are you going to do any of the things I'm praying for? God, are you still with me? Do you still love me? Are you even real? Church, be encouraged this morning through this story of this couple that God is real. That he is at work when you can't see him, when you don't understand, when you haven't heard anything, when there's silence, God is at work. Here's the second thing. There are no coincidences. God is in control. You think it's just a coincidence that Zachariah happened to draw the lottery to go into the holy place to clean out the... No, come on. God ordained this man's steps and his life in such a way that he placed him where he wanted him, when he wanted him there, to tell him this incredible message. By the way, listen, this was a holy message that was spoken in a holy place. This is the advent of the New Testament. This is the breaking of the silence. This is the story cranking back up again. And he does it in this holy place. And it's not a coincidence that God had ordained Zechariah's steps. And it's not a coincidence, everything in your life. It's not an accident that you're working through different struggles and you're on the job you're on and you have the issues that you have and the frustrations and the doubt and what's going on. It's not a coincidence. We gotta have faith. We gotta watch for God to do something because he's always working and he's in control. Here's the next thing. They were faithful. They were such a faithful couple, weren't they? They followed God's commands. They, they followed his ways. They were faithful even though they weren't fruitful. Does that describe your faith? God, I'm going to be faithful to you regardless if you answer my prayer about dot, dot, dot. I'm going to be faithful to you whether you give me that thing that I've been praying about for 20 years. What is that thing? Is it a prodigal child? Is it a child? Is it a right job? Is it retirement? Is it finances? Whatever the issue is, will you be faithful 
in the silence when God hasn't allowed you to be fruitful in the things that you want. We have to be a faithful people regardless of what's going on or whatever his choice is for us. He is in control. We have to put our hope and faith in him. Here's the next thing. Zechariah saw his own limitations, but God sees our destinations. Zechariah said, whoa, how am I going to know this is going to happen? I'm an old man and my wife is old, even though he's speaking to an angel, right? But God saw his destination. He knew the end of the story. He knew how God was, uh, the, the, the angel knew how God was going to use this in his life. In the same way, God has got a plan for the end of your story. He's got a plan for what you're walking through. It's not just your, we see it and we think all our human limitations. God, I, I can't do this. I've walked through this. That'll never happen. I can't understand how this would happen. And yet Gabriel tells Mary, nothing's impossible with God. He sees the destination. He sees where you need to be. He sees where he wants you to be. Will you be faithful to trust that he's in control, that he loves you, that he's taking you to a finish line that will bring him glory? What I see when I look at Zachariah and Elizabeth, just see this consistent faithfulness. Did they have issues? Yeah. Here's a priest who didn't believe. Here's the priest's wife from a tribe of priests who felt reproach. They had their issues. We all have our issues, but God is calling us to faithful obedience and trust in him regardless of what life looks like. Here's the next thing. Elizabeth went from reproach to a greater realization. It's so easy to make things about us. God, thank you for this baby you've given me. You know, she didn't say couldn't the prayer have sounded like this? Lord, thank you that the Messiah is coming. That our child gets to be the one to prepare the way, to be a voice in the wilderness. How humbled we are that we get, that wasn't the prayer, was it? Thank you, Lord, that you've taken away my reproach. It's so easy to make life about us. It's so easy to make our troubles or even God's blessings about us. Thanks, God, I really needed that. And God's going, no, 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 I did that for another reason you don't even see yet. You don't even know it. You can't understand it yet. But don't make it about you. God gave her a greater realization. I love it when she speaks over Mary. And she's like this humility. Lord, how do I even deserve that my Lord has come to me? It's beautiful. Greater realization. It's what happens when the Holy Spirit fills our lives. We point to Jesus. We get to know him more. We worship him, and we get a greater understanding of what he wants to do in our lives. Here's the next thing, and the last thing. Zachariah and Elizabeth were both filled with the Spirit. There's this sort of parallel story. They're both filled with the Spirit. They both give glory to God, and they both speak life over someone else. Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit. She speaks over Mary. Zachariah is filled with the Spirit. He blesses God and speaks prophecies over his son. As I was thinking through this, this this week, I just kept thinking, God, you really want to use our experiences, don't you? Not just for us, for other people. Do you, do you think that these scenes of them being filled with the Holy Spirit would have looked the same without the experiences they walked through? Think about it. Do you think Elizabeth's joy over being pregnant over God allowing her to be a part of this story would be the same if she hadn't been barren all those years. 
God uses your experience, everything you've walked through, every tear you've cried, every heart broken, every relationship, everything you've done. He wants to use it for his glory, but it's not just about you. He wants to use it in the lives of other people. And so I've got this question for us this morning. Older ladies, do you have an opportunity? Are you speaking into the lives of younger women? Are you being filled with the Spirit and speaking into the lives of younger women, as Elizabeth did to Mary? And can I just say on the side here, for any older woman in this room, and we'll just use the same age range, 60 and above, it could be younger. I guarantee you, if you ask any of these younger women in this room for a coffee, they'd go just like that. They'd go just like that. They want to learn from you. They want to hear from you. They want to walk life with you. We got to be intentional to share life together. Fathers, are you speaking over your sons? Are you speaking over your daughters? Speaking life and who God wants them to be. Are you doing that? Zechariah was filled with the Spirit and he, he said, you're going to be the one to prepare the way, son. It's just an infant. There's power in our words and there's power in our experiences and God wants to use those experiences to fill us with his Spirit, to humble us before him that we're involved in this beautiful story and he gives us opportunity to speak life to other people. And I had this verse just laid on my heart this week in regards to this, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that, do you see those two words? So that, why, why does he comfort us in all of our afflictions? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Why are you walking through that difficulty? So that you can comfort somebody else who's walking through anything else. What is that thing in your life, in your heart, that struggle, that thing that continues to break you down, that little point, that little divot in your heart, in your life, in your memory, when you get to it, you just crash? It's not just about you, friends. God wants to heal you in that. And he wants to use that very thing in the lives of other people. But we won't be able to speak truth unless we're filled with the Spirit. We'll speak something else. We'll speak some junk to those people. We need to be filled with the Spirit. And when we are, we'll point to Jesus. We'll worship him. We'll acknowledge him. We'll humble ourselves. And we'll speak life-giving words and truth to people who need it. We learn that this couple was faithful, even in their brokenness. They're faithful. They're prayerful, even in God's silence. And they're filled with the Spirit, and they bless others out of the overflow of God's presence and goodness in their lives. Can we do that? Can we learn from Z and E this morning? Pray with me. Father God, you're so kind and so good, and you love us so much. And yet many people in this room this morning, God, identify with the fact that maybe they've been struggling for a long time with some questions and some prayer requests, some doubts, some fears. And in some ways it may feel like you just haven't answered, you just haven't been available. 
God, would you give us the faith to know that you are always working, even in the darkness and in the silence? Would you help us to be a faithful people, trusting you, Lord, just to be obedient, to serve you, to acknowledge you, to continue to be yours, to continue to walk life out with people in the church, continue to humble ourselves and honor you in all that we do, even when we don't feel like you've answered our prayer the way we want them to be answered. Things don't make as much sense to us as we wish they did. You're a God who is in control and we trust you. And we can't say that and then begin to doubt and ask questions or we gotta trust and be faithful. Even though we all have issues, even though we all have problems, we can still be blameless. We can still follow you. We can still be faithful to you. We can still be prayerful, maybe even in your silence. And we can still, Lord, seek you to be filled by your spirit so that you can remind us that life is not about us, but that you can help us turn our lives to Jesus, to be humble, to walk in humility with you, and to speak life over those who need it most. God, every person in this room is created with a purpose. God, if there's one person in this room that's listening to me right now, they think they're just, they're an accident. They're just taking up space on this earth. Lord, may you help them understand the truth that they are created in your image and you have given them a purpose for life. Help them find that purpose and live with joy, following you, serving you, and being a part of what you want to do on this earth for your glory, for your will, for other people. Lord, make us faithful. In Jesus' precious name.